The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. In the next week, will you have a day where you can say the most important thing you do that day is outside of your roles as a parent and or partner and or professional? Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. My guest today is Eve Rodsky. She's a gender division of labor specialist. She's also a best-selling author of the books Find Your Unicorn Space and Fair Play, which was a Reese's Book Club pick. She's working to change society one partnership at a time, she says, by coming up with a new 21st century solution to an age-old problem that women shoulder two-thirds or more of the unpaid domestic work and child care for their homes and their families. As Eve joked when we sat down, we're going to start by going dark to then go light a little later on. And so we started with how political challenges we face can be incredibly personal. The lines are much blurrier than we've historically said they are. Something that really fires me up, for example, is when people say that racial equity or the right to a woman's decision about her own body is a political issue. I have always felt so weird about this, but I never knew how to voice my opinion about it without potentially offending people's politics or making it sound so personal to me. Eve gave me a really good point of view that made a lot more sense. This is a values conversation. It's a conversation about individual and community-held values. Here's what Eve has to say. If you don't believe that it's your values, then it's very easy to depersonalize it. And that's Mm -hmm. where we get into really big problems. Yeah. When we start dehumanizing or decoupling the human experience from what we believe is our political issues. Yep. So give me an example of how a person's private life is a public issue. Well, I didn't start out being a gender division of labor specialist, right? That wasn't on my third grade, <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up board? I think it was like veterinarian or something, right? I, so was mine. Right? Yes. <laughs> so we could be veterinarians together in another life. That would be amazing. But for me, um, this started 10 years ago with what I call a blueberries breakdown in my own marriage. I am a Gen X person who was told that um, gender will never hold you back that um, you don't see race, that if you work hard enough, that a key to the C-suite will just be waiting for me, Leah, because I have all A pluses and I was going to be president and senator because you can be both lazy senators. (laughs) They adjourn at four. And of course, you can still be president because you can issue your executive orders at night. But I'm not going to give up my dream of being a Nick City dancer because duh, you know, what have I been training for if I'm not going to use my talents as a dancer? So I'll just fly Air Force One in uh, on (laughs) Saturdays and do the 1230 game because that won't interfere with my state dinners. Or your executive orders. Or my executive orders, which I issue after 4 p.m. when Senate adjourns. That energy, that beauty, that power was all dead 10 years later. 
under the weight of unpaid labor in my home, under the weight of a text my husband Seth sent me in a car that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries, where I'm sitting there out of the corporate workforce. I did not have the career marriage combo I thought I was going to have, sitting with a breast pump and a diaper bag in the passenger seat of my car and gifts for a newborn baby to return in the back seat of my car and a client contract in my lap, Leah, because I had opted out of the traditional workforce and I actually thought it was a choice. Even though my direct reports had been taken away from me, my request to work from home on Friday had been denied, I still thought leaving that organization was my choice. That's what I mean by the personal is political. Because in that moment, I was a statistic that I didn't even know at the time. And that statistic is that two-thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family fall on women. There's only 18% or less of people living in a stay-at-home relationship. But ironically, it's 70% of the 1% of men who lead our nation. And so that's the politics is personal because when you don't have a lived experience that more than 80% of Americans live, then we end up in a situation where this ghost of what a family is supposed to look like haunts us and haunts our policy. And so that's how I became a gender division of labor expert because in my own home, I grew up in a single parent home where I saw a woman doing it all and said to myself, I don't want that. I want a true partner in life. And I got my true partner. And still I found myself crying and sobbing on the side of the road 10 years ago over a text my husband Seth sent me that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. That blueberries breakdown got me into my work, but it started with the very, very personal realization that my life looked nothing like I imagined it to be. It's not about the blueberries. It's never about the blueberries, right? Right. It reminds me of um, coaching with people. I always say, like, the topic is never the topic. It's the layer over the topic. Um, But you had a moment. You're sitting there crying. What are you wanting instead of what you're experiencing? In that moment, I didn't know what I wanted because I had no way to contextualize what was happening to me. Now that I look back, I'll tell you what I was wanting. What I was wanting that day was for people to know my name, was to be able to have an identity again. Um, Because what had happened to me, I was three years into having kids and 10 years into my marriage. But I remember, Leah, the first time my name wasn't used was in the hospital when my son, Zach, 13 years ago, was handed to me. And the nice labor and delivery nurse said to me, you know, how are you feeling, mom? And I remember embracing that. And then what I remember right about that time of the blueberries breakdown, sitting around and having the preschool teacher say to me, these are going to be the people that you're going to know better than anybody in your life. They're going to be at your kids' weddings. They're going to support you. These are your community. And I remember looking down at my name tag that day and it said Zach's mom. You can't make this stuff up. And I remember thinking, these are the people that are going to know me better than anyone knows me in the whole world. They don't even know my freaking name. And that was, I think, what I was really crying for. I was crying for Eve back, some semblance of being not erased. So I think a lot about all of these issues now, because as you said, the presenting problem is not the real problem. So this is a big problem around how we value women's time. Where do we culturally see ourselves in society? And I think a lot of the reckonings that are happening now are happening because we've never reconciled who governs us, their ideas for society, and then the lived experience of what most of us are living. Mm -hmm. 
You said that it takes 10 years oftentimes for a woman to realize that she's lost herself. How do we change that? Yes. Thank you for recognizing the passion gap. The more we unlearn how our time is devalued, the more we can eliminate the passion gap. So what do I mean by that? Well, my loss of identity, it started with, at birth, understanding that my time was less valuable than men's time. You're hearing in your mind, right, that you have all these dreams, but then also you're hearing these contradictory messages that are really like very, very insidious and small, and then they start growing as you get older. And those messages are that our time is not valuable. And we know that because if women enter a male profession, then salaries automatically go down. We say things to women like breastfeeding is free. When it's actually 1,800 hours a year, it's a full-time, a full-time 40-hour-a-week job. But then what starts happening to us as we get older is that finally all that conditioning that men's time is diamonds, it's meant to be protected and women's time is infinite and it's like sand, it starts to take over. And it takes over in four insidious ways. It takes over in how we make our decisions, Leah, because I'm the one who picks up the groceries and the the laundry from the floor from my boyfriend Um, And I'm centering the heterosis gender now because that's where all these problems are coming from. I pick up the laundry in the mail uh, because my partner makes more money than me. My job is more flexible. I'm a better multitasker. I'm wired differently to see things for care. And the time it takes me to tell him, her, they what to do, I should do it myself. You do it yourself. Yeah. So when women, when we can finally start believing that our time is diamonds, that we don't look at it as money because we'll never make the same as men if we keep getting the cycle of the unpaid labor. We have to break the cycle and say, my time is diamonds. I'm going to put a true boundary around it and I will protect it. Well, and so we're doing all this so that we can come back to a place where time is equitably looked at. And then what can women then do with their time? Tell me about the unicorn yes, space. Exactly. Yeah, well, tell me. What is it? We're going dark <laughs> to go light because at the end of the day, We want you to unlearn so that you actually can tell me that you have something to do with your time. So what we want you to do with your time is what I call unicorn space. Unicorn space is recognizing that the antidote to burnout is not getting your hair cut or walk around the block or manicure every two weeks. It is being interested in your own life. And that's a harder thing because I can't tell you what it is but I can tell you how to find it. And I'll give you an example. This podcast is a unicorn space because you had to have the courage to be curious. You had to decide who you want to invite on. You have to connect with that person. You have to connect with your outside audience. And then you have to complete something. It's scary to have a cycle of curiosity, connection, and completion. But that's what a unicorn space is. It's an active pursuit that has those three C's. And it's very different than self-care because the connectedness is what links us to our mental and physical health. We're going to take a short break. I want to give a quick affirmation that if you are a mom with any of these experiences Eve described, you're not alone. And if your story feels a little different, but you want to help yourself get into the unicorn space, ask yourself, How could I be more interested in my own life? If it sounds selfish to do this, that's even more reason to give it a try. 
It will do the opposite of what you think. It will make you better for yourself and others in your circle and community. When we get back, Eve takes us deeper into the freedom of being in the unicorn space. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with author and researcher Eve Rodsky on the steps to get into your unicorn space. So in order to enter or start to find our unicorn space, we need to be open to curiosity, to connection. Is the connection to others or connection to ourselves? to others. And what was happening in the research, and I'm going to nerd out with you for a second. Let's do it. Like, all right, we're very much in unicorn space now. So if we really want to look at burnout holistically, especially for women, given that we don't believe our time is diamonds, we deserve that permission to be unavailable from our roles. That's the baseline. That's what we've been talking about up till now. That and not just our nine to five roles, right? No, all of no, the roles we all carry. The roles, all of the roles. Unicorn space is not a how to be happy book or philosophy. It is a recognition that the true definition of mental health, after talking to many mental health providers and clinicians and academics that I love, the true definition of mental health is not, Leah, I wish for you to be happy all the time. (laughs) The true definition of mental health is, Leah, I wish you the appropriate emotion at the appropriate time and the ability (laughs) and strength to weather it. I love it. That's it. And it's such a freeing definition of mental health for whether you're a parent and you want to say to your kids, or I say to a colleague, unicorn space is your ability and strength to weather it. But what's great about unicorn space is actually it's an easy thing, meaning it's easy (laughs) because you're like, I can't believe I just did that. It feels hard. Like this podcast may be hard, but the time, the flow state goes by fast because it's something you probably, I'm putting words in your mouth that you probably love to do. And because I can tell that because you're very good at it. Most of parenting, most of caretaking in this country that falls on women is actually overwhelming and boring. Mm -hmm. Those were the two word clouds that came up from my fair play research, my first book. And so living a life of overwhelm and boredom is a terrible place to be. So instead, to live a life of daily flourishing, because that's what creativity is linked to, Leah, is the opposite of Adam Grant's word of 2021, which was languishing. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you just one quick example of Kat Medina. 
I'm going to shout her out. She's a regular human being. I just, I found her on Facebook. But what I loved about her story is she tells me she was a cashier at Sam's Club and her husband's an auto mechanic. She tells me that one night her husband walks in on her reading to her son. And from the other room, he thinks it's like a CD or a book on tape. He doesn't believe it's her. And he walks in. He's like, that was you? Your voice sounded so different. You have sounded like a professional narrator of books. So then she tells me she has the first C. She gets curious. And she asks two words that I give to all of you. I wonder. I mm. wonder what it would be like if I was an audiobook narrator. How do you narrate audiobooks? She finds a website where she can take a passage that she reads and uploads it. She gets a microphone on clearance from Sam's Club where she works. She borrows her husband's laptop. She connects with this platform and then she completes something. She uploads her voice of princesses behaving badly to this website. And then within a week, Leah, she gets a call back and she narrates her first audiobook. When we do those unicorn space activities that have a curiosity connection and completion component, you can look back and the emotion that I give to you, Leah, is I can't believe I just did that. Mm. That's what people say to me when they're in a unicorn space. I can't freaking believe I just did that. Instead of I can't believe I just did that. First of all, I, that story is so cool. And it's those moments that no matter what happens or what comes of her narrating books, no one can take that experience away. And that experience is a clue for her and it's evidence for her that she can continue on a path. She can get curious. She can connect. She can complete. And she can have the fulfillment that you gain from that. What I also heard you say earlier, which I think is so often overlooked, is self-care in a lot of ways, feels to me like another way to uh, perpetuate consumerism. 100%. It's not actually true care. Not that there's anything wrong with taking a bath or, you know, getting a drink with a friend or getting your nails done, but those things are not the same as being interested in your own life. You're right. That gets short shrift, and I appreciate you allowing me to expand on that. Again, if we're going into the science here, and this is important, don't read self-help books that don't have a bibliography. <laughs> um, it's really important, <laughs> I believe, that what we say to you is steeped in science. So what the science also shows us, back to what you're saying about self-care, is a lot of times now, Leah, self-care has actually been associated with hedonic well-being. So meaning and happiness correlate. They do. But there are times when we have happiness without meaning. That is the doom scrolling. That is social media for a lot of us. If it's not a true authentic sharing, it can be. But for a lot of us, it's, it's that mindlessness, like, what did I just do for that hour? It's binge watching TV, which is, again, people are trying to say is self-care, but really is... That's Another numbing. version of consumer, right? Numbing mm -hmm. and consumerism. What happens is that a lot of us have, have turned to hedonic well-being, happiness without meaning. And then a lot of us also live in situations where we have meaning without happiness. And that's often correlated with caregiving responsibilities. I know that for myself. I get a lot of existential meaning from raising my kids, Leah, but I don't get happiness at all. I mean, it's hard. It's a slog. Day to day, it makes your life worse. And that's okay to say. It's just, it's the reality of day-to-day -day parenting. It is hard. So when you get an experience that has happiness and meaning, 
that is not the commodified wellness of the self-care we're talking about. Happiness and meaning really is true self-care. And that is being interested in your own life. So those happiness and meaning intersections, sadly, are not Mm self-care. They're just not. And they're not adult friendships, even though those are important as well. This is something else. This is why I decided to call it unicorn space, because there was no word for it. It was being called hobbies or vanity projects or side hustles. And it's more than a flow state because Mm -hmm. it's not always the flow state. It's curiosity, connection, and completion. Listen, I'm going to ask, I know we're nerding out and you should never read. I love that. Never read a self-help book without a bibliography. (laughs) I might, I might disagree a little bit because, well, memoir, memoir is different. All right. So if we're combining memoir and nerding out in self-help, what is meaning and how do I know when I've found it? It's such a great question. So let's do practical because there's a lot of um, religious and, and philosophical books you could read. But I have an entire chapter in Unicorn Space just about the seven motivations people told me over 10 years for why they share. And actually, that's meaning to me. I'll give you an example. Some people said to me they shared to honor their mother's legacy. So what my friend Dolores Concepcion, shout out to you. She started something called the Butterfly Tribe for women who had lost their parents to cancer. She shares because she wants to keep others accountable for running. So that's her motivation for sharing and also to carry on her mother's legacy. To me, that's meaning. Another person tells me that they share because this is a woman called Pie Lady Books who has celiac disease, stay-at-home mom. She decided to start... I wonder how to mix flowers that taste as good as gluten because she's obsessed with pies. So she started mixing flowers and and making delicious gluten-free pies and sharing them with her community, sharing with others to make them feel good so that they don't feel so alone with their celiac, that they could experience and taste things as good as people who can eat gluten was her motivation for sharing. That's meaning. So what I will say is if you're thinking about what something feels meaningful to you, think about why you share So I'll ask you that, Leah. Why did you decide to, instead of just interviewing friends, you know, one off at brunch, what made you take this and share yourself with the world in this way through the podcast? Like what feels meaningful to you? (laughs) You made my heart dropped and and probably my, it started beating much faster. Um, I had an experience where I felt like there's got to be more than this. And if we're all here for a limited period of time, and there's got to be more than this. Why am I not going out and figuring out what the more is? And the more wasn't like, you know, I should be making more money or I should be, you know, I should have cuter shoes or like whatever. <laughs> I should be getting more manicures. Hedonic well-being. Yes, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Hedonic well-being, which hedonic is just like the experience of being full of pleasure, right? That's what yeah, happiness yeah. is. Yeah. Um, it was deeper than that. And I didn't know how to get it. And so I set out on a quest to figure out what it was for me. And as soon as I decided that that was my intention, everything changed and I found it. And I said, well, I'm talking to so many people who don't feel like they have it and they feel so lost. And I can see all of the the sea of humans in my life that deserve it. I think everybody does. And I want to share. And I I get to learn along the way. And so it it speaks to all the things I love, which is curiosity, you know, which also is connection, Um, you know, the scariness of completion. It is scary, um, but it's meaningful. It's so beautiful. Thank you for letting me put you in the spot. But I think what's so nice and important about that is that is what I hear from so many people who find a unicorn space or a cycle 
of the curiosity connection and completion because the sharing makes it meaningful. And that's why, again, I wish I could tell you that being small, you know, I have women who say like, I really thought that when I lost 10 pounds, I would be happy. And I'm not. And it would break my heart over and over again. And so because of that, we end up waiting or using the milestones or the map that the people who've set the agenda for us want us to be in. And that milestone is being a parent and or a partner and or a professional and getting the straight A's and being who we all want you to be. But then one day you wake up and you say, wow, these milestones have grown so big for the bigger house, the nicer shoes, the 2.5 kids, the move to a brownstone or whatever it is. And they've been set by someone else. And then so what happens is our, as our, those external milestones get bigger, we shrink, Leah. We shrink to fit into them. And that's how we end up losing our identity mm. in these roles. And so when you can break out and say, I'm going to share my story that doesn't look like that, it becomes very, very powerful. And so mm. that's where this the practical nature of why you share. I'll say to you, if you feel like I, I don't feel curious right now or I don't know where to start, I would say start with why you share, when it feels good to you. Is it because you want to share your skills? Is it because you want to ask questions? Is it because you want to be an accountability partner for someone else? Is it because you want critique of your writing and you want to hear if it's good or not and you want to get better? But the seven motivations I talk about in the book are a great way to start. Because when mm. you start thinking about why you want to share yourself with someone else, you often back your way into what your unicorn space is. I love that. I would love for you to complete these three statements. Better humans are. Connected humans. Better work is. Predictable and flexible. And a better world has. Fathers who step into their full power in the home so that women can step out into their full power in the world. Mm. Awesome. Thank you so much. That was Eve Rodsky, bestselling author of Fair Play and now Find Your Unicorn Space. One big thing before we go, take a minute to let this statement just complete itself for you. I wonder, I wonder, what a powerful road to possibilities instead of dead ends. And I wonder what could become true for us as humans, as a society, if we stopped knowing so much and started asking more questions. If today's show helped you on your journey, leave us a rating before you go. And even more helpful, write a quick review. It helps other listeners like you find this show and grow with our community. And you can also find me on LinkedIn writing about human potential. Send me a message to let me know how all of this is resonating with you and if there are other things you want to hear about. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me, and I'll see you next week.